Cobalt headquarters in San Francisco, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my dear friend and colleague, Susan Nascimento. Susan and I met a few years ago when I was doing management consulting at Sigital, and she was leading global application security at Experian. I have many fond memories of us in those roles talking security metrics. Susan is an award-winning information security executive who's been in the field since the year 2000. She's worked in finance, healthcare, oil, software, web consulting, and food service industries. In addition to her day job as SVP of application security, Susan is also extremely passionate about career growth and leadership. She's built a coaching methodology with her motto, to lead others, learn to lead yourself first. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Caroline, I'm, I'm jazzed to be here. Thanks. Awesome. We are so thrilled to hear from you. Uh, and the first question I have is, can you tell me about how you first got into technology and then how you broke into the security field? Mm, okay. Um, well, so my first introduction to technology was a computer was around, I was 16. So that was around 1986. And my grandfather, he got me what I, I think it was an IBM computer. So he bought a lot of stocks. He owned like property. He was really trying to find property with oil on it. Um, and I think his vision, he never shared this. He shared this with me later. Um, but his vision was that I would learn the computer and I would track his stock prices and I could find patterns for him of when to buy and sell. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Grandpa, I'm 16. Um, so I remember I learned DOS really fast and I coded what seemed like hard programs back then. But I look back and I laugh at how elementary they were now. Um, and then um, I remember, um, let me back up a little bit for there. Like I remember um, that um, I convinced my mom that I would, I got into the gate program. So I almost, I, I had a, I got my IQ tested and I got uh, what's a genius slash gifted um, IQ, I, although I never felt like I was that classification. Um, and they were going to skip me third grade, but instead I went into what's called MGM, which I think we like teased it as the mentally gifted morons. I think it's <laughs> now called the gate program. Um, and I did well for a while, but I eventually got bored. And then I convinced my mom, I had this whole presentation of how I could drop out of high school at 10th grade and I could make more money working than going to school. And um, I don't know where her mindset was at that time, but I wore her down and she was like, fine. So I went to my first, so my first job though was at Burger King and that wasn't my food service industry. And then I was like a secretary at Rand and I was a really great secretary there because I could learn all the advanced use, you know, software programs. Like I'd become a power user of anything. Then um, my first, like what I consider my first pro job was working as a computer aided designer, like CAD CAM for um, British Petroleum and like engineering firms like Bechtel. And then I would use, I got to use more advanced computer programs and learn them really fast compared to other engineers. 
Then I got promoted as a business analyst. And then early 2000, I accepted a job at a medium-sized consulting firm called Rainbow Spectria. And when I was there, I was a systems business analyst. And the firm did a lot of like consulting for software development. They did websites, e-com, and they had this like small security group of just three guys. And that was probably, that's been my favorite job in my life to date because I had to learn something new every two months and claim I was an expert in it. It was a lot of pressure, but it was never boring. Um, and I learned, I just learned so much about software that time. I learned like more about the inner workings of it, the software methodologies. I was surrounded by type A geniuses. So it, I had to stay on my feet. But then we had the dot-com bubble collapse and then 9-11 was right behind it. And so that company, they lost revenue really rapidly. Like nobody was doing websites and e-com anymore. And we went from over a year, we had like a half a dozen layoffs. We went from like a company of 250 down to 20. And their new business strategy was, we're going to refocus all of our efforts on security services. This is where it's going to be. Uh, this is where the market's going to go. And so the executive team handpicked three women to join the team of three security men to help build their service. And I really kind of look back at that now and I think like how cool it was that they just like made their security team 50% women, considering that was like 17 years ago. Kind of like Brady Bunch, now that I say that, like three men and three women. Yes, I love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here's a story. <laughs> um, and so I was one of the lucky women, obviously, and that was when InfoSec was born inside of me. And so the three guys would teach us every day. We'd always have time every day learning about how to pen test. We had a private lab to hack and learn on. Um, then they would teach us about security policies, how to translate that into awareness training. Um, and then I worked on several client projects related to those areas. Again, always having to pretend to be an expert. Learn something as fast as possible and be confident when you walk in, even if you're not, because you know you have a team behind you that'll help you. Um, but then after a year, we didn't, we didn't earn enough revenue. And so our six went to like three and I was in that three and then it was two and that was when I got cut and then one and then they went to none. And at that point, that's when I noticed that the trend was to outsource IT, but nobody was outsourcing security. Hmm. So initially I chose to pursue InfoSec just for job security reasons. I ended up getting a job at like a large healthcare company and I was a project manager and a business systems analyst. But every night I was reading CISPI books and blogs and anything at work that seemed remotely security related, I got myself in. Or if we were building a website, I would somehow explain how we needed to make it secure and what would be secure coding principles. So I clearly was, even though I say it for job security reasons, I was still obviously interested. So I got my CISPI in like 2007, I think. And then at that point, like everything expanded for me dramatically because people were more interested to talk to me then for jobs than when I wasn't a CISPI. And so then one of the ladies from that threesome we were at, where I got my first InfoSec job, and my next one actually, was working for Experian. And they were looking for someone to help them build their AppSec program from the ground up. And since I had a lot of experience in software and systems business analysts, and I was clearly geeking out on InfoSec, she introduced me to her boss. I got the job. Uh, I stayed there for 10 years, um, where I then built up the global AppSec program from the ground up. And now I'm at the fifth largest bank in the world, still working in AppSec and absolutely loving it. It's an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing with us. You know, one of the things that, that I know about you and that I'd love for you to share with our listeners is your story about why 
several years into your technology career, you're very passionate about cybersecurity, you're leading AppSec at Experian, and then you decide to pursue more higher education. You went and got your MS in management and leadership. And why did you choose to do that? Yeah, it's funny. So many of my friends and my family even asked me like, why are you choosing this degree? Do you want to go into HR? And I was like, no, it's, this is not a HR degree. This is, think of it as a people degree. There's people in every job. So to just go backwards, like to fill in the gaps. And so I, I said, I dropped out of high school. So I, eventually I got my GED and then I got a bachelor's of IT from University of Phoenix, like in my mid twenties, just because I noticed that I would sometimes unfortunately lie to people and say I had a degree. So I, all of a sudden I realized like I thought it was important and, or I'd have to say I didn't have one on a resume, you know, like when interviewing. And so I started to hate that. So I mm. thought, okay, I clearly think it's important. So I went and got it. Cool. And then it was another 20 years and I decided I wanted an advanced degree because while I was building the AppSec program, I was, so I was used to in my life just being promoted and getting the next job. Like I was always the go-to person. But after five years, I just, I was stagnant and I was being passed over for promotions and I just, I couldn't figure out what it was. And so getting some feedback, I assumed, you know what, I need to like gap more of what the next level would be. So I assumed that a master's path would be an MBA. I took the GMAT, which is like a SAT score, your SATs. It's embarrassing, but it's the truth. I didn't score high enough on my GMAT to get into my first university pick. And they really looked down on where I got my bachelor's. So here I was, you know, I've got a high IQ. I'm type A driven. I've got high standards. And I really like, so now I'm being passed over for promotions and a university is like, you know, you're, you're not good enough for us. So I, I really went into a dark place then and I was shocked and I just stopped thinking about options. And I, I just thought maybe this is my ceiling and that's it. And then six months went by and thankfully I have this trait called perseverance. <laughs> <laughs> it sometimes is a, it's a strength. It can also be a weakness because sometimes I don't know when to give up, but I like, once I want something, I won't stop. And I may stop for a moment, but then I pick myself back up and I get re-energized. So I decided to try again at my mom's alma mater, which was Pepperdine. And I looked at their MBA curriculum. I looked at it really for the first time and I was like, oh my God, this is all finance and marketing. How am I going to even use this in an you know, infosec world? And I had been helping my husband's S-Corp, um, which is he's a private chef. So that's kind of like I call my food service background. And so I would do his accounting and I did his marketing for like 10 years or 10, 15 years. So I was like, I could, I'm sure it would have been way more learning to get the MBA, but I just couldn't get passionate about it. I saw it and I was like, oh my God, I don't even want this. <laughs> and I thought if I do it, I'm just doing it for my ego. And then before I walked out, I saw a brochure for their master's of science and management and leadership. And the way I, I describe it to people is essentially it's a degree in how to lead yourself and if you can learn how to lead yourself, then you can learn how to lead teams and then enterprises. So if you have a vision for yourself, then you can have a vision for others. If you can figure out how to change yourself, you can figure out how to change others. So everyone, and then that's when I kind of looked around and I'm like, you know what, everyone around me is smart, but lots of projects failed, especially after startup. I find geeks are really good at implementing process and technology, but they suck at implementing change within people. And I always find that employee morale is 
always low during times of change. And I even was a victim of this myself. Like I had bad social anxiety and I didn't want to have to talk with anyone else unless my, you know, it was via my computer, which is part of my problem why I couldn't get promoted. I like to keep my head down and work. I didn't want to build a relationship with somebody because it felt anxious. But something about the degree kept telling me this is right for me and I needed to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I did it. And then this degree, I look back now and it gave me significantly more you know, ROI than I could have ever estimated. And I learned that when people are happy and they're engaged, they have more, it's directly correlated to sustainable higher profit. So if you want to see, a t if you have high profits in a team or an initiative, look at the team. They're very engaged. They're high performing. And if you want to see a high performing team, then go look at their, their, what they're producing. If their innovation revenue is high, whatever else that might be, their productivity, they're directly correlated every time I look at it. So I graduated at the top 10% of my class academically and at the top 1% um, by getting this thing called, they have the George Award. Um, uh, George Grazadio is the, the, the founder of the business school. And I had no idea that was even an award. And it's something that the professors vote in like a very secret meeting. And so that was really, um, that actually helped me give closure uh, on being passed over and stuff like at the end when I got this secret award. I always think about that snotty university that turned me down because I had this low GMAT and they were like, oh, you know, we're, we don't care about where you got your bachelor's. And I always want to take this 10 pound George award, have this pretty woman moment in my head where she comes in with her, she's holding her expensive shopping bags. And she says to the clerk that she wasn't worthy of being served. And like you say, big mistake, huge. But in the end, I'm just really happy that Pepperdine chose me. And I went there they taught from a Christian perspective, and it was nothing that was in your face, but what? But I could tell that they brought their value system into that. So they cared about doing the right thing in business, meaning like they taught us how to negotiate for more of a win-win versus a win-lose. And they would show us statistics on how that actually gets you a better negotiation in the end, how to brainstorm projects or, or problems using uh, what they call appreciative, humble inquiry. So it's the person asking the questions is really more of the leader and you get more by asking questions than telling people. Um, and it shows that you're being humble. And really they taught us how to incite change in people from their heart because that's where change happens. So I, I always tell people, think back to a car or a home you bought. You might've had logical reasons why you thought you want it, but I'm, I would bet my salary that you emotionally bought it. You know, Once you knew you wanted something, it was the emotion that sealed the deal for you. So I've really, I met, I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into that degree. I got rid of my social anxiety. I figured out what my vision is for my life, how to change myself from the inside out. And now I feel like I can help others do that. It's like I've got this new superpower and I realized new passions and strengths I didn't even realize were there like teaching. So I feel like I got this degree in love, like, and I, and I use the L word often when I talk at work. It's like, you're not allowed to talk about those touchy feely things, but I'll use them. And I feel like it rubs off on people in a good way. Fantastic. Susan, I appreciate so much your decision to share with us and with our listeners, both your ups and your downs, right? I think if, you know, people look you up, they see your bio and of course, in our bios, you know, we list the most impressive accomplishments that we've got. And that's the nature of that kind of a thing, you know, but for you to decide to share with us like, hey, 
I did experience rejection and that was tough for me. Um, I just think that for our listeners, that's so incredibly valuable because I know that, you know, and I'm learning more and more as I do these podcasts with folks that everyone who has accomplished has also failed. And, and so thank you so much for sharing that with us. I want to switch gears for a moment and then come back actually to the love and to the people. But I do want to ask you, because I think it's such a relatively unique experience. What did you like most and what did you like least about building a global application security program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Most fun. You know, I'd probably say... Uh, I'd probably say strategy, metrics, and training. I'd say strategy because most of my AppSec peers, they've walked into organizations and they have these, they have a lot of shiny tools, but they have like no battle plan strategy to bring them all together. Mm. And I have to figure out what people process in technology that that's working already. And then what the gap is. So you have to, you have to know what the vision is and then reverse engineer that and figure out what, you know, the order it is. Like, it's like a recipe. Like if you put some things wrong in the recipe, it could turn out completely wrong. So that, that's important too. And I find, I like finding, you know, matching that to also to a, an external standard like BSIM or OpenSAM, like why you're doing it. Because for executives, that helps them understand the credibility of why you're, what you're, building it upon on. And then I like to tweak it for my own needs though, like not completely follow them verbatim, but I love kind of figuring out, I love finding problems and figuring out how to fix them and and all the disparate data and how to bring it back together. So it, it has glue. So I think I like strategy and that's the fun part for me. And then I love metrics and you know, Caroline, I fell in love with metrics when I met you. And we talked about it for the first time and I got to geek out on it. Uh, I read your book. I read another book on metrics and I was like, ooh, I love this. And I really find that when you have data, that, that evidence defeats doubt within people. Like you can talk about, I think it's because of this, but if you can tie it to data, like executives like that, well, and and most people like that, it helps confirm if the strategy that you had, if it's working or not. I also like that it opens up the conversation to happen. You know, you have that crosstalk to determine like, well, why do you think it's happening? Like what, you know, and, and asking why five times, you know, to help them get down to root cause and then joint problem solving. I find that if you can have that conversation and they get to be a part of it, you know, if you get to like hand them the pen to fill in the blanks and they feel like they're owning it. So that, that I feel like metrics is like the gateway drug to allowing the conversation to happen. And you can tie metrics to money because executives love to make money and save money. So leaders will perk up and not like, you know, yawn or scratch their head because they don't know what you're talking about. So like if you can show them how improving their average number of vulnerabilities per app, if it's trending up, then you can say, hey, that's a lot less time for your developers to work on kick-ass revenue generating functionality and vice versa. So when it's going down, you can be like, look, let's also see if your productivity is going up. And then at third, I love training. Um, I love it because it's proactive and it's fun. I like being goofy and unconventional. <clears throat> I, um, at one time, I did this thing called the five dance moves of insecure coding. 
it was matched to the, the organization's top five volumes. So it wasn't the OWASP five or our top 10. Um, and it went viral. So it was me just um, in like baggy sweats dancing. So I remember like sequel injection was one of them. And so I was doing a shot, I think like, like a drug addict. Somebody's like, no, you can't do that. So we got to do the vaccine shot. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. I am going to look that up. Well, I don't know if it's publicly available, but I wish it were publicly available. Yeah. That is, I think that's the best thing I've heard about on this podcast to date, hands down, <laughs> hands down, five dance moves. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yes. So, you know, like you, you could do like the rain, like people used to do like the sprinkler, right? So I just was like, well, we could do our own, like cross-site scripting, like we could do it and we could do sequel injection. Like we could do yeah. a dance move for all these. Oh, it's so good. I... <clears throat> can't tell you how much I like that. <laughs> I'm sweating by the end because it's like my 10th take. and um, <laughs> It was not pretty, but it was, it was like real and raw and it totally went viral and I love it. So, and I love theming my webinars around stories. Like right now I'm doing a Star Wars theme where the developer is the hero in the story. So I, I always tell them they're the young Luke who's destined to be this master Jedi and save us from the evil empire what I'm trying to do is decriminalize the developer because, you know, they wanted to be developers to, to create cool code and functionality. And then security came along and dumped it in their lap. And I just want them to know that they're the hero and we're like the supporting characters. It's not about us. Um, we're just the Obi-Wan that's guiding them to be, you know, the, you know, the special. So, um, and I find that that has played out well and people will mention it um, and they'll say things like at the end of my webinar, hey, may the force be with you. And I'm like, yay. So it makes it fun. And so really those I think are the most three I really enjoy strategy metrics and training. That's awesome. I think, you know, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to have you back on the podcast again because there is just so much more that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> But for our last question for today, I want to get your thoughts recorded for the podcast because we did get a chance to talk about this um, just between you and I, but I think it is so interesting for our listeners. So I want to know about your personal criteria when you're choosing a job in InfoSec. And I think the reason that's such an interesting question is both because we work in this field where because of the talent shortage, we do have a little more choice than maybe people working in other fields. Mm -hmm. So we have the luxury to choose that. And I think it's such an interesting indicator about the type of person you are. What, what matters to you uh, when you're making this type of big decision? Yeah. You know, I can answer that question, I think, especially since I went through the management leadership program, because it really made me had to look inside, like, what, what do I want to say yes to? And what is my body telling me to say no to? And like honoring why I'm saying that and kind of honor the pause and think about it. So the, the three things that I look for in a job, well, first of all, I do go and look at a company's vision statement and mission, mission statement and like see if I can get excited about it. And if it feels generic, that kind of gives me an indicator like that they don't have like a lot of heart behind it. So those are kind of things I just look at initially. But then the most important thing to me is 
unfortunately, but it's true, is money. So as a woman, you know, you see in the headlines that we don't get paid. You know, I think we get paid 80 cents on the dollar for every man. So I always want to make sure I'm not one of those people. So I will say to somebody, I want to make sure that I'm paid commensurate to my value and my worth. Um, and I do that because I want to make sure that they know it's, it's true for me. And it may not be my number one, but I have put in a lot of time and experience and I've paid for a high education and I'm bringing all of that value there. So that's number one for me. Number two is I really desire, you know, I found for me success is not about achievements anymore. It's about relationships. Like that's how I've now been extremely successful. And so having a relationship with my boss is of the utmost importance to me. You know, they're the ones that decide my pay, my promotion. They're the ones that um, will decide what, what stretch assignments I'll get. If I fail on an initiative, are they going to let me fail hard? Or are they going to let me fail soft? Are we going to joint problem solve together? Are we going to work hard and play hard? So those, those are all the things that I want to do. I want to know that I could sit with you on a plane for four hours and feel like I'd want to do it again. Like if that's like, that's like the litmus test for me. If I feel like I'd be uncomfortable doing that um, or I feel like I have to script myself, not good for me. Um, I just want to feel like it's a seamless working living environment in the sense. And then the third thing for me that's important is um, work-life balance. So, you know, as somebody who has perseverance, I, I have a tendency to, you know, I could easily work 12 to 16 hour days just because I love what I do. But then I don't give enough um, we all have finite time and energy, though. Um, and so I have to think about where that else goes. And so when I do that, I then steal from my, my husband. I steal from my kids. I steal from my health. And so I, it's a constant intentional battle that I have to make sure I don't overdo how much I work. And if so if I work for a company that is going to impose that upon me as well, I can easily go to that dark side. And because I, I want to work 12 to 16 hours, I hate to say it because I always say it's not healthy, but it is who I am. Um, and so I will say to somebody like, you have to let me do my own thing. You got to trust that I'll get the job done. You know, don't, don't ask me to work nights and weekends because I'll already do it anyway. So don't impose that upon me. I got to have my own thing. Um, and so I'm very upfront about it and how they respond is how I, I basically decide. And and I think if they didn't meet all of those, you know, the weighting of others, if how, how strong they are would, would make that decision for me. Cool. Susan, I can't thank you enough for doing this with me today. When I think of you, the first word that comes to my mind is vibrant. And mm -hmm. I, I just think it's so awesome that you're here and, and sharing yourself so generously with our listeners. Um, so thank you. Mm, you're welcome. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen testing as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.